Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. Welcome to the Dead Pundits Society. Now here is your host, Adam Proctor. Welcome everybody to part two of my interview with Rania Kalik. In part one, we talked about Rania's recent articles that have been appearing in Alternet. Uh, that's about the Yazidi genocide, the rifts that are opening up between the Kurds and the Yazidis, and that conflict that spans many geographic uh, war zones. So, so that we have Iraq in the mix, we have the Syrian conflict in the mix, Turkey and Iran are playing roles from the outside, and so it's a very messy conflict. Part two, we're going to talk more explicitly about uh, familiar topics that have been discussed here on the Dead Pundit Society previously. We're going to talk about the role of Wahhabism and Salafism and the way in which uh, this American war on terror that's been going on for over 15 years has been propagating some of the worst elements of, of jihadist, far-right, fascistic ideologies that are just inhuman and uh, have produced these intractable conflicts in the Middle East. So without further ado, I'm going to bring you that uh, part two of that interview. Check me out on Twitter at Dead Pundits. Subscribe on Patreon if you can. Uh, go to www.patreon.com slash deadpundits and smash that subscribe button. I've got a lot of bonus content. Uh, this week's episodes have been free, but the coming weeks I'll have bonus footage for my patrons. So you're not going to want to miss that. So head on over to patreon.com slash deadpundits. And smash that subscribe button. Support the new left agenda. All right, here we are, part two with Ryan Yakalik. Enjoy. Before we get to part two of this interview, let's get a few things straight. First off, as you'll soon see for yourself, we have some strong opinions on the matters under consideration. If you disagree, don't turn off the interview. We encourage you to listen to perspectives with which you disagree. Principal disagreement is a crucial part of developing robust positions on the left. We have chosen to make our positions very explicit so that principal disagreement might flourish around these debates. Secondly, even though it's not immediately apparent on the recording, there was a significant audio delay between Adam and Rania during the interview. If we appear to be talking over one another, it's due to the audio delay. We apologize for that, but doing an interview between two people living across the world from one another has its setbacks. I think you'll be happy with the back and forth nonetheless. Take a seat and listen closely. We're about to lay down a diss track. You've been fairly warned. Right. So let me let me cut in because this is a really great so we can move away from your article now. Uh, the, the conclusion is really um, um, provocative or, or it's, it's kind of a, a cliffhanger, right? Because the conclusion of your article is to say like, well, the Yazidis are rushing into the PMF. Uh, which is upsetting the Peshmerga and the Kurds because they were trying to institute their own state, Iraqi Kurdistan. And whereas the Yazidis are siding with the PMF, which is a more Iraqi nationalist kind of force. And so there's this ongoing kind of rift 
Uh, as you mentioned, you've reported a lot of the Yazidis are saying Peshmerga is ISIS. Now, whether there's any truth to that or not, it doesn't matter. That's the suspicion. As you mentioned, some of them are well-founded suspicions. Uh, so there's, there are a lot of rifts that are opening up there. A lot of even new brand, even, you know, like this is even the newest generation of sectarian struggle that we're about to see crop up potentially as, yeah. as, you know, as the manifestation of what are actually nationalist and political economic projects, which is to say, you know, the Barzani faction uh, trying to institute Iraqi Kurdistan and on the, in, 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 in all of the oil in Kirkuk and elsewhere. And then of course the Iraqi state trying to uh, prevent some of that. And so, yeah, the conflict is ongoing, and I look forward to seeing more of your articles there. So let, I want to put a pin in that, uh, just to kind of wrap that up, and we'll move on to what you're talking about here. Uh, let's 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 say um, we'll cover two pieces. One that goes after you specifically uh, by Imogen Lambert and Mufta Magazine, the 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 tr- dumpster fire that is Mufta. And if I lost a couple listeners there, good riddance. Sorry, I didn't mean that. Maybe you should just listen. Maybe you should if you think if you think Mufta is really great, maybe you should just listen critically and and maybe expand your horizons a little bit and see the other side of the argument, right? Because uh they're they're we're about to dismantle uh comrade Imogen's uh <laughs> Comrade piece by piece. <laughs> I'm trying to be. Uh, this is me. This is me being diplomatic, Rania. Uh, I, we're not getting. I'm not getting nasty just yet. I've had an extra cup of coffee and I'm ready for it. So let's do it. Her piece is called "The Case of Liberal Islamophobia," in which she argues that the uh, the position you just laid out about. This kind of like weird Sunni supremacist ideology, this Wahhabist Salafist ideology that we talked about with you and Ben Norton some months ago mm-hmm. that I talked about with Max Blumenthal a couple of months ago. Uh, she says that you're all Islamophobes. And if you don't like, <laughs> if you don't like uh, essentially what is Al Qaeda in Syria, if you think their ideology is Wahhabist and you want to demonize uh, Assad's um, you know, uh, opposition on that basis, then you're no different than all the raving right-wing Islamophobes in the West. Uh, what do you We're say? basically all just Pamela Geller and like Sam Harris. You're all Pamela and, Geller. Yeah. Right, um, right, right. No, this this piece was really shocking, um, not because of what she said, because I've heard these arguments before, but just like how she literally, I mean, God, she was so explicit about it. No one's ever this explicit about it. She actually says yeah. that opposition to the Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Qaeda in Syria, mm-hmm. and to like this sort of Salafism, Wahhabism stuff that we just talked about, opposition to this is actually Islamophobic. And she explicitly says that. She says that that's what opposition to the Muslim Brotherhood is based in Islamophobia. Okay, the Muslim Brotherhood is not the definition of Islam. The Muslim Brotherhood is a right-wing organization that actually has very few principles and is willing to like, pers- like pay lip service to certain things but align with the U.S. whenever and, and align with like really bad people all the time. But first and foremost, the Muslim Brotherhood is a religious, misogynistic, like... It's like a, a regressive organization, right? That wants to, it's not Salafist necessarily, although sometimes Muslim mm-hmm. Brotherhood people end up becoming Salafi jihadis. That happens actually a lot. So it's almost like it's mm-hmm. it, on the spectrum is, of, of like 
on the spectrum of, of I guess, Islamism, like Sunni Islamism, I should say, um, it goes like Muslim Brotherhood, Al Qaeda, ISIS. <laughs> okay, like they're not. They're not Salaf. Maybe you could call them Salafi adjacent. <laughs> like, there's a lot yes they are Salafi adjacent because there are Salafists who hate the Muslim yeah. Brotherhood and Al Qaeda people generally like they're like you're not real Muslims like us like we're the real Muslims <laughs> yeah, we've right, weapons right, and like the Muslim right, Brotherhood right. wears suits and like is you know presents itself yeah, better looking for politi- political respectability you know and they're looking even, for power you know, rose to power in, yeah. in Egypt they're yeah. looking for power yeah. and they do it in a really strategic way which is they basically take over educational institutions um, which is really smart mm-hmm. And that's like what they did. That's what they've done in Jordan. That's what they like that they did in Egypt uh, back in the day. I mean, too, like back like in the 1920s. Anyways, the point is, is that there are lots of reasons that people like the Muslim Brotherhood doesn't get to be the representative of Islam. And that means that if you don't like the Muslim Brotherhood, you hate Islam. Like this girl actually calls majority Muslim countries that are run by Muslim governments Islamophobic because they don't like right. because they're mean to Salafists or, or they, they crack down on the Muslim Brotherhood. And I don't agree, like, with the way that those countries behave towards the Muslim Brotherhood. doesn't mean I have to like the Muslim Brotherhood, and I'm allowed to criticize them. Right. But more importantly, yeah, what I find... Either or. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, just what I find so I stunning, can't hold back. I'm so angry. No, I can't you should. You should. Back. But, like, it's like what I find so funny is this white girl, okay? Like, this white girl, <laughs> yeah. in, like, from SOAS. This white British girl. This white British girl, like, ha- thinks that she can sit there and lecture... Sorry. I, you said girl. I shouldn't say girl. I should say woman. I just yeah, want to clear yeah, that up. Yeah, we should be very That's careful. The- PC stuff is very important. Hey, look, I we're should. Islamophobes. I just want to be we're Islamophobes now, so I guess who cares anymore? Now I'm um, a misogynist. No, this, this She's a white, woman. Woman. Okay, a British white woman. woman. Yeah. You can say girl. Who lives in That's That's a the UK. Expectation. Who does not have to worry about Wahhabis and Salafis or like Al-Qaeda or ISIS or the Muslim Brotherhood even, uh, coming into her town and taking over and putting her, like, putting her under, re- like, restrictive dress codes and making it, like, and, and especially if it's Al-Qaeda or ISIS, making, saying you can't go to school um, and implementing these really regressive, insane, fascistic ideologies. And I, when I use fascism, I'm specifically talking Al-Qaeda and ISIS. I wouldn't say the Muslim Brotherhood is definitely, it's not, it's right wing, it's not fascist. But in this case of Al Qaeda and ISIS, it is fascism. And for this for this woman to sit there and say that people in the Middle East who oppose these kinds of systems of fascistic government or even just right wing religious fundamentalist government are Islamophobic is completely and utterly absurd because she does not face these threats. <laughs> like you live in the UK. This isn't yes, in the UK, in the US. Um, right now in the, in Europe, in the West, Muslim, Muslims are definitely like, like experiencing a lot of persecution and discrimination and they should absolutely, like, we should absolutely stand up for them and oppose the sort of like hateful blood libelous claims that actual Islamophobes like Pamela Geller and Sam Harris make against them. That said, Muslims in the Middle East are not a minority. Okay. They're not a minority. Right. And this is in the Middle East. It's not about protecting a minority. In the Middle East, it is about everybody, Muslims included, dealing with a serious, very real threat of this very backwards, fascistic, regressive, these regressive movements that in, in many ways the U.S. has basically empowered and in some cases funded. 
And that is a very, very real threat. That does not mean we love dictators because we oppose that threat. It, what it does mean, because I, like I, I, I mentioned this in a Facebook post, you know, dictators in the Middle East, the regimes in the Middle East, they, like, they will stomp down any of their opponents, whether they be Islamists, whether they be leftists, whether they be communists, whether they be, whatever the case may be, they, they, they like, will stomp out and treat any opponent with an iron fist. It doesn't matter what the ideology is. But that is not the question here. The question here that people have to deal with is the very real threat from fascistic groups that are worse than the regimes that they live under. That's a very real, tangible thing that people have to deal with. And you can see it in the suicide bombings that take place in this region. You can see it in the areas that do come under the control of these groups in this region and the chaos and wastelands they leave in their wake. And it is completely and utterly like ridiculous and just dripping with privilege, white privilege for a, for, for this woman. And I'm really holding back my words here for this woman to think that she can call <laughs> Arabs in the middle East Islamophobic for opposing Holy groups that shit. literally want to subjugate them. Like it's just so Holy fucking shit. absurd. I mean, the words that, I mean, let's just read that the language itself is, 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 is damning enough. Now, any, anyone who is anyone who caught the three part series that you, Ben Norton and I did some months ago, will know. And, uh, anyone who caught Max Blumenthal's article or sorry, uh, episode will know, right? <laughs> okay. The, the problem with this statement. All right. While some claim to support the Syrian revolution, for example, they continually disown Islamic, Islamist factions such as Arar al-Sham, Jaysh al-Islam, and other mainstream, quote, Muslim groups, quote, uh, oh in the Free God. Syrian Army for no clear reason other than their Islamic orientation. What the fuck are you kidding? Like, <laughs> sorry, I can't hold back. So, uh, I mean, that's like offensive right. to We don't Muslims, like, we hate Arar al-Sham because... Right. First of all, mainstream my ass. Secondly, uh, it's also interesting the phrasing there. She referred to Erhar al-Sham, Jaysh al-Islam, and other, other groups as just components of the free Syrian army. <laughs> Which is like, what world are you living in? Like, that was never the case. Like, not even back in 2012, 2013, no, right? It wasn't. Like, these were always rival factions with different leaderships who sometimes came together, you know, under the same umbrella. And you can talk way more about that, I'm yeah. sure. Um, I'm just relaying what I've learned from you and Ben and Max. But but what I'll just finish with is like to suggest that people don't like those groups who use the fucking Al Qaeda flag, the black fascist flag, and they plant it in the towns that they own, right? To suggest yeah. that people don't like them because of their quote Islamic orientation. Yeah, it's Muslims just, I mean, hate it's, them. It's All those Sunni Muslims. Stupid. All those Sunni Muslims in Syria are such Islamophobes for just like not wanting to to live under a country run by a rural sham and Jaysal Islam. Like, especially it's Alawites, though. No one's more Islamophobic than the Alawites because, you know, <laughs> they were only paraded in fucking cages as human shields by Jaysal Islam. Like, wow. <laughs> Right. It's fucking unreal. Yeah. Unreal, this woman. So the, the implication is that, okay, so here you go. I'm going um, Western leftists, and I love how they use leftist as a smear on these mufta sites, and Rima Kudami does this as well. She always uses leftist as though it's a bad word. Yeah, like, ew, gross yeah, leftist. I'm like, you know who says that? People Western who are fucking right wing. <laughs> yeah, boy, you're just ripe for the picking for some, you know, think 
neocon think tank uh, down down the line right? here. She just wait for it anyway. Not, uh, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Western leftists have generally rehashed these same anti-Islamist tropes, helping to provide rhetorical cover for the counter-revolutionary beliefs of Arab liberals. Twitter's Rania Kalik, a self-proclaimed anti-war activist, well, is one Twitter's of the Rania. loudest. Uh, Twitter's, tw- yeah, you, you 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 live on Twitter. It's like you know, I, I, I'm like I work at Twitter, of, guys. <laughs> you're one of the loudest and most persistent American leftist voices, known for denouncing quote extremist Muslims and quote Wahhabi Salafis in the Middle East. Um, of oh, course, uh, Kalik and those like her insist their criticisms are not Islamophobic because they quote target fascism which is the same nonsense Arab liberals spew to justify their opposition to Muslim groups like the Brotherhood and support for Assad and Sisi. So because we don't (laughs) like fascism, we are practically the same as everyone else in the entire world who says fascism is bad. Bad? Go with that. Wow. Wow. Like, how dare you not? I like how she, like, puts everything in scare quotes. Like, because they oppose fascism. Like, is that a bad thing? (laughs) I thought you're supposed to oppose fascism. And then what's funny, too, is she tries to say that Arab liberals support, like, the Assad regime or that Arab liberals this and that. It's the opposite. Arab liberals are actually some of the most... Uh, strongest proponents of the Syrian revolution, which is fucking hilarious because just like liberals in the U.S., Arab liberals want this like multicultural society that can be inclusive of all people, yet somehow they they manage to support fascists in another country that's like literally right next to them. That's how the Arab liberals in Beirut are, at least. So she doesn't even know what the fuck she's talking about because she goes into this whole thing about how Lebanese, like secular, and then also secular is a bad word too. Like they always bring the word yeah, secular yeah. in. She's like, the secular Arab liberal leftists of Beirut. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, secularism is so gross and evil, just like leftism is. Um, and it's amazing, but it's amazing. It's like so stunning to me because, like, who the fuck are you? Like, who the fuck are you? You're just like, some girl, some woman that like went to some, you know, elite I'm not going to police your language. If you want to call her a girl, call her yeah, a girl. She's some, she's some stupid girl. Okay. Like, I don't know. I, that's the best there I can come go. up with right now. It's just, it yes. just, it really, it's just so <laughs> baffling. Like, I'm just, I'm like, is Mufta getting, cause you know, she manages to attack Saudi Arabia in that piece. So I'm just like, is Mufta getting money from Qatar? Cause like. It's like you yeah. can attack that. Like she's huh. not she's not Islamophobic for attacking Saudi Arabia, but she but like we're Islamophobic <laughs> for not liking the Muslim Brotherhood, which is like the country's mountain you know tool. Um, really, it is. But also, she doesn't mention like like I love how like I want to make a distinction here though because I don't want it to seem as though any group that is Islamist is like pure evil because there are a lot of Islamist groups in the region, but. There is a difference, in my opinion, between the ones that impose their their beliefs on you and the others. Like, hmm. I will tell you this. And when it comes to the Middle East, I think Iran, I'm not talking about Iran domestically. Um, I am talking about what Iran has done in the region. There's People like to compare it to Saudi Arabia. And Iran has actually been a stabilizing, constructive force in this region. It's been the only reason we have groups that are able to defend against Israeli aggression. And it's the only reason we've had groups that have been able to defeat ISIS. It's one of the only reasons. Because Iran backed the PMF. Iran backs Hezbollah. And, and it's not because these groups are loyal to Iran or necessarily controlled by Iran. It's because they are all partners who share a similar 
interest, which is an interest against his existential threat that is ISIS. And interestingly enough in this region, uh, I will tell you this too, in my time with the PMF and my time in areas that have been liberated by Hezbollah, one thing that's really striking is the way that these Iranian-backed groups have become like the de facto protectors of minorities in the region, of non-Muslim minorities in this region. Um, because they're the most effective fighting forces, the most able to fight ISIS. And ISIS, I mean, it's actually changed these groups in many ways, especially Hezbollah. Like, people are always like, oh, you like Hezbollah, but you don't like the Muslim Brotherhood. It's like, okay, but like Hezbollah, I can walk through Hezbollah-controlled areas of Lebanon in a tank top and like, and no one's going to like force me to put a jacket on. Like, they don't, I can, like Hezbollah is not trying to impose an Islamic state on Lebanon. You know what I mean? They are a religious organization and they do mix religion with politics. And I don't agree with that. That said, I'm looking at the reality of the situation in this country and Hezbollah has principles when it comes to opposing imperialism. And they do like they, they are they are like they're not sectarian. They are of a single sect, but they're not sectarian. They don't impose themselves on other sects. And if anything, they've protected uh, vulnerable sects. It sounds like I'm saying sex. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, I'm just like I just want to make that that too, that too. Actually, I'm sure like, they oh, protect a lot of vulnerable yeah. sex from the uh, fascists <laughs> who would uh, you know hang people by their testicles, which is actually a know. thing that they've done. Like it's like they've like <laughs> yeah, eaten livers. Yeah. They've, I mean, Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Imogen. I mean, the, these oh. aren't caricatures. I think it's really important to understand. So I want to fin- so just to wrap this up and tie it into the next piece. Uh, she, she, she finishes it up. She says, the problem is not Islamism, which, you know, it sounds like you actually agree with because you've just delineated, you've made a key distinction between the kind of Islamism that is fascistic and the kind yeah. of Islamism well, like, that actually, has I, I will a more tell you this. nuanced no, I am opposed and to, kind of... Yeah, you got to be nuanced. I'm opposed to all Islamism because I fucking hate right. religion and politics mixing. But when it comes to the reality of the situation on the ground here... Um, you do have to be nuanced, and I do make an exception for a, a group like yeah. Hezbollah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, she says the problem is not Islamism. The problem is the dictator state. Hmm. Leftists and liberals around the world would do well to come to terms with this fact. And so, like, okay, I mean, there's just so much projection and assumption going on there. Like, I, I mean, I, okay, let's, let's do this thing where we denounce Assad. I hereby denounce Bashir al-Assad, and I do not like his dictatorship, and that he is a very bad man. Okay, now your turn. Now you go. Um, I mean, I think, Assad, Assad, I think Assad has a weird lisp and no chin. <laughs> he does. It's like fucking weird. Have you ever seen the guy talk? You, He's so weird looking. <laughs> you, you ever seen a glow? Did you have one of those glow worms when you were a kid where it's like a worm? and It's, got a, <laughs> it's kind like of what Assad on, looks like. And you squeeze its belly. You squeeze his belly and his like face glows red. <laughs> and you're supposed to like cuddle with it at night, even though it's kind of creepy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw uh, Bashir looks like he looks like a glow worm. He's like, I am here. I'm the theory and the dictator. And, and <laughs> that's rude. I'm sorry Dude, to all of my friends and fans good. out there who may have who may have uh, lisps. I don't mean to dis- to defend you, but like it really does. It really does like diminish his like authoritarian street cred. I really think that's one of the reasons the U.S. wasn't <laughs> able to like really make him into the villain for the U.S. public to like fear because he has this like lisp in English and he's just like. He's such a wuss. He's like, he I'm, no a, I'm a dentist. I'm a dentist and I studied. I think it's an London ophthalmologist. Isn't it an eye doctor? Uh, he, he's an eye doctor. He's some kind of weird like specialist. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe yeah. He's like Not a, like a real doctor, but like a doctor for like a face or like a face part. <laughs> yeah, a face part. That was an Something that we was don't really English. need. Who, 
<laughs> he's not like a fucking chiropractor. Don't but get I'm not crazy. Like he's, not like, he's not like he's not like an MD. <laughs> Just kidding. He's not like he's not like a fucking yeah. He's not a chiropractor. That's true. He's a doctor, but he's not. Anyways, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that. I'm a like, podiatrist, and I look point, at feet all day long. The point is, is that it's again. Uh, no, I'm it's sorry. Like, okay, enough, enough. <laughs> enough the regimes make across it this region creepy. fucking suck. But again, it's not even a question. Like, it's not even a question of that. That's what I, these people don't even <laughs> seem to understand. If if Al Qaeda came for these motherfuckers, they would be running into the arms of Donald Trump. If that's who was like <laughs> the one person standing in between yeah. them and Al Qaeda, like they would be yeah. shitting their pants. Embracing right. Donald Trump to protect them, so like they, they yeah. like they can't understand or fathom why people would be like, oh, like and also I will tell you this one thing I think is so funny. Um, actually, this goes into the next article we're going to talk about, so I'll, I'll say that I'll make the next point I was going to make for that article. Yeah, so let's let's transition because we're we're talking about both. So the the next piece, the final piece here. This is a long episode, and I knew it would be. So thanks to folks for uh, for sticking with us here. I might have to yeah, cut and if this you didn't, fuck bit, you. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, listen to the whole damn thing. This is important God stuff. Damn it. Um, you know, he didn't get to the part about my. If you didn't get to the Assad impression, then I really feel sorry. Dude, your for impression you, is like strikingly good. I was, good. I was that was. Yeah, amazing. I was on Michael Brooks' show yesterday, and he was asking me. We were chatting on the phone. He's like, "Hey, could you do any impressions?" And I was like, "No, not really." But I need to add that one to the repertoire. You should. I need to you do should. like. I should open the show with like a woke Assad. Like I'm have like Assad. My, like Assad like <laughs> like giving a speech to the nation about how like they need to respect like people's like uh, lived experiences like Hillary Clinton Different did at that uh, commencement speech. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, we'll think about that. Maybe I'll play like the Syrian national anthem in the background. And talk about it. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. Anyway, it's awesome. It's, so this article came out, the, the trash dumpster fire number two came out from The Intercept on September 8th. It was written by Mariam Elba. It's called Why White Nationalists Love Bashar al-Assad. Uh, yeah. Uh, here, I turn into a white guy again. Bashar al-Assad. Um, it shouldn't be surprising, writes Mariam, sup- that Syrian president Bashar, uh, Bashar al-Assad has become an idol among white nationalists. <laughs> In the United States. Now, first of all, I don't think that's actually true. No, I don't. I think, think it's so. true. I think it is true that they were a lot of the alt right were and the neocons were upset that Trump has backed down from his anti Assad rhetoric, mm. which they like that strong, tough guy foreign policy America first approach. I, th- I think there's it's undoubtedly true that they are disappointed in that Trump is not the strong man that they thought he would be. Yeah. But that's a far cry from saying that like, you know, Pepe's are putting up posters of Assad in their rooms, like right next yeah. to all their anime posters. Like I'm pretty sure the frog right? is like, still that's... there, like their, their mascot, <laughs> um, not Assad. It's just not but, happening anytime soon. Yeah. So what's your take on this piece? Well, so I, I actually like, okay, there was this, this became like a, a hot take like a very prominent hot take um, after Charlottesville because there was a couple of like idiots in Charlottesville who are stupid and ignorant and were wearing these shirts that were like, we love barrel bombs because Assad's awesome. And so there is like, for people who even fucking know who Assad is, like, and I, I mean, not because not all these alt writers do. And there are some of them that do glorify him, but their reasoning for glorifying him is completely misplaced because they... The ones who do, and I mean the, the few who do, because again, the vast majority of the alt-right doesn't know who the fuck Assad is. 
Um, uh, And if they do, anybody who does is just like getting it from their thought leaders. Um, Anyways, and the reason they're thought leaders like 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 Assad is because they're also fucking idiots because they see Assad all they see they don't understand the nuance of anything they just see Assad because of the way he's been portrayed in American media as killing Muslims that's what they see <laughs> right. they they're like he's taking on ISIS he's bombing ISIS like he's bombing not even ISIS actually he's bombing Muslims like they don't even distinguish that much they're just like they, they don't even Muslims. give him credit for being a Muslim himself or like being a, a part of a regime, a state that is essentially. Well, not even just like that. He's like, he's, he's Alawite. Alawite is a branch of Islam. Like, it's like, yeah, of course, yeah. like the Tekfiri types don't think Alawites are really Muslims. They look at them as like infidels or whatever. But regardless, the he's not even like, it's, it's like he is, he's a, of a Muslim sect. <laughs> So they don't even understand or, or know that or realize that or the fact that like his regime is made up of Sunnis, like in literally the highest, the, the head of the, de- the minister of defense, the ministry is headed by a Sunni, the ministry of intelligence, or like the, the, the security intelligence apparatus is headed by a Sunni, the, um, which is like the most important job in the country, actually, if we're talking about police states, that's like the most important police state job there is. Yeah. Uh, he's married to a fucking Sunni. <laughs> like, um, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like it's like this guy doesn't hate Muslims. Um, you can say what you want about him being brutal with the Syrian opposition, but it's not about hating Muslims because it's his regime. It's made up of Muslims, um, you know, and but the yeah, right yeah, doesn't yeah. understand this. And the army's full of them. I mean, yeah, like and, and it's it's funny because like these like white Nazi dumbass asshole types. Um, the reason that they, they like the idea of supporting Assad is it's also, I think, a part of them like sort of saying fuck you to the establishment because the establishment in their minds is all like wants to overthrow the government in Syria because like they love Islamists right. or something. Um, that's how it's they just another it. way for the alt-right to be edgy, right? They're, lo- they're constantly looking for new ways to be edgy and offensive. Yeah, and like to piss people off and I think those t-shirts offensive. that you saw... Yeah, you saw at Charlottesville, those T-shirts were just like, oh, barrel bomb. People think barrel bombs are bad, so I think they're good. It's just a new well, edgy like kind of edgelord, Pepe Asad's bullshit. All, exactly, and Assad's also an Arab, okay? Like, forget the sect thing for a second. He's also an Arab. Uh, white, not like neo-Nazis, white supremacists hate Arabs. So that's how that just tells you how dumb these guys are because they like if it, the, the few who might be idolizing him are idolizing an arab and they don't even realize it but to suggest that he that an right. arab man is somehow um is somehow now like like analogous to white nationalism is fucking absurd <laughs> like that makes it's no sense it's a pretty sense. wild stretch it is a wild stretch i mean he compares them to golden dawn in greece uh the front national in france uh the 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 belgian fascists um you know, they, they cite, oh, David Duke, uh, former also, KKK leader, people, David Duke like, went there. They also um, have, it's like the same issue with all of these groups. Like, they also, um, David Duke did go there, but so did, like, Nancy Pelosi. I mean, it's, it's, that's another funny yeah. thing is, like, people are like, right. here's David Duke right. shaking hands with Assad. It's like, well, I can show you, like, Assad shaking hands with, like, many American politicians. Yeah. So, I mean, the I, propaganda I in this piece is just, it's, it's wild. Well, also, there's like, a, there's a picture, people, right? The, the lead picture is, so the, the lead picture, I just want to get this out, is of a teacher looking like she's ha- heiling Hitler or something and kids doing <laughs> like a salute holding Syrian flags and pictures of Assad. And oh it's God, like, oh, I see, they're that. brainwashing these kids and they're all heiling their leader. 
And it's like, this is what kids do in America in small towns and major cities across the country. They, they stand up, they put their hand over their heart, which is another hand gesture. It's not like, you know, putting their hand forward to the side like they do in other countries, but it's a form of like respect, putting your hand on your heart, right? And holding and waving American flags and saying this pledge all in unison, like a cult, yeah. Right? Our, yeah. I mean, that's well, what I meant. Difference? Like, yeah. Well, there's a huge difference because Assad is evil, and that you're supposed to just like to think that and only that and let it go. But I, I just also want to point out that that the the U.S. media has accused Assad of committing genocide. Like, they literally they openly say he's Assad has committed genocide and used chemical weapons against people who are Muslim because he hates Muslims. Mm-hmm. That is the narrative. Mm-hmm. In the mainstream press, so it's actually not shocking that a couple a couple of idiot like white alt writers are like, oh well, we support genocide against Muslims too, <laughs> and I wish we could gas them. Yeah. So like the the people again, like it's based in complete ignorance um, and complete lack of understanding whatsoever about what's actually happening in Syria. Um, and the like the last thing I want to mention about this is that there is like this the article in the intercept what made me really mad about it is that there is a parallel to be made in the Syrian context with the white alt right and that parallel is with the fucking opposition and it's, it's with like in the US you have this like white marginalization bullshit that like these alt writers promote like mm-hmm. oh we're marginalized we're white and marginalized all these like white men are are in the alt right like who have like all these guns they've hoarded um, and they're just like, we're so... They want to take their country back. Yeah, the, That's the slogan. Yeah, yeah we yeah. want to take our country back because, like, we're so marginalized, you know, whatever. And it's a Somebody fake bullshit it. narrative that, that that's, like, that they're learning from bad places that promote this narrative, that, that they're being marginalized because they're white men. And this is actually a very similar mm-hmm. bullshit narrative that, like... Uh, um, among the sort of Syrian opposition types about Sunni marginalization that doesn't actually exist, especially in Syria, of all places. Hmm. Um, and so the, that's one parallel. The other parallel I'll make is that with the actual goals, if you want to compare the, the alt-right to somebody or a group in Syria, you would compare it to the armed opposition groups, which actually have a similar goal um, about, like, about imposing... Uh, like about wiping out certain people for not being like them. (laughs) Um, You know, like that sort of agenda. That's the parallel that should be made between that sort of fake white marginalization, fake Sunni marginalization, um, that this like sort of fake sense of oppression, if you will, uh, that kind of leads to these, um, these like fascistic forms of, of thinking, these exclusivist mindsets. Um, And, you know, because at the end of the day, say what you want about um, Assad and the Syrian government being repressive. They are. But they are like they they are at the same time equally. They're equal opportunity oppressors. (laughs) I mean, everyone's oppressed, (laughs) you know. Um, in Syria in their no own No different than here way. in the United States in a different uh, sense, right? In exactly, all sense. the sects. Uh, um, but no, but, I mean, I'm being serious. Syria is like sort of rich trap, ta- like, like rich tapestry, this like multi-sect diverse tapestry that it does have, um, is able to exist under the Assad regime in a way that it cannot exist in any way whatsoever under the armed opposition, which is entirely Sunni. Um an entirely Sunni, like it's like it has a Sunni supremacist ideology to it. To it, it might not all be like ISIS or all be Al Qaeda, but I mean, at the end of the day, they 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 were all Sunni. Uh, they were naming their groups after like 
after like sort of these like Sunni historical figures that are anti-Shia for a reason and like calling Shia all kinds of terrible names. And one friend of mine actually made a really funny point when we were talking about this. He was saying, he was saying, in fact, Assad Syria is like more tolerant of diversity, sexual and ethnic or religious differences than, than not only the Syrian opposition, but actually the American right wing. <laughs> um, which I thought wow. was funny. And it's actually true. Wow. That actually is true. And in, in the context of those particular things, it is. So I just, for the intercept to be making that absurd, ridiculous comparison is so disgusting on a number of levels right. and just demonstrates like how fucked up American progressive thinking is on the issues in this region. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like, they don't know what they're talking about, Adam. They just don't. Their brains are broken. Their brains are broken. And the narrative, look, this article would have been an an acceptable piece in my estimation. I like that. I like that you just said that. An acceptable. I'm losing steam here. This is a great conversation. I could do it until I pass out, probably. Yeah, but this is good. But like this would have been an acceptable piece had they said, look, this this is the perception of Assad that white nationalists are getting. And that perception is wrong, but this is what the U.S. is projecting. And isn't it weird and ridiculous that there are elements of the alt-right and white supremacists that really love this monster Assad because they're trying to be edgy? Now, let's break that down and let's see if the ideology maps on to the reality. And let's talk about the nuance and the contradiction. And, on the, and like, that's what real journalists should be about this is a mm-hmm. this is a fucking uh, propaganda piece um, yeah, and you know it's so and, extreme. And look, we all we really all have shocked. our views we all have our views we're all entitled to our opinions and our perspectives but they don't even try to interrogate um the claim that david duke equals assad it's like i mean they just <laughs> they just sort of spout it and because he went there then there's this you know there's this and also to it it whitewashes the violence that's that's uh, you know uh, committed on Americans domestically by the police, by the federal authorities, by by these you know just fucking inhuman and violent policies that we uh, project on our fellow American citizens, right? Like Assad's a bad guy, right? We know that, but so is Trump. Well, here's right? you know, not, this isn't glad. about this isn't about like a false equivalence. I'm not trying to say one equals the other because who gives a shit? That's just some weird phony math. Right. I'm not trying to. No, add but like, up I, the I, I know. I like that you mentioned them, this, though, right? because um, because sometimes I think it's really fascinating when people who consider themselves leftist, like start making these arguments about why we should overthrow other governments. And they'll mention like the sort of repressive nature of like, you know, well, people are dying in their prisons. It's like, well, so people are dying in American prisons, too. So why don't you like start with your own fucking government? And leave everybody Prison else alone. Prison guards just roasted a man alive. They yeah. roasted a man alive. Like literally, they have know, like a process where they off. roast people. I mean, it's like it's it's really just like wow. I mean, or they want to make these a compare. Like it's just these comparisons are so ridiculous. I'm so tired of them. Like give it a fucking rest, okay? You lost in Syria. I I, I don't know how else to say it. Like at this point, it's like the propaganda. The propagandist types have gone into like this weird fanatical kind of overdrive where now they're like really starting not to make sense anymore to like even people who might have listened to them. They're just like, wait, what? Um, To where they're just making like the most the the arguments become increasingly absurd to the point of like this is what happens. They lost. They lost like militarily the opposition in Syria lost. I'm not saying that to rub it in anybody's face. I'm just saying they fucking lost. And I'm glad they lost because 
they were fascists. I'm glad that they they lost in Syria. I really am. I, I, I you're glad you're glad that the forces. You're glad that the forces. Tell me if this is correct, but I think I, I want to clarify for the audience who's who who might not understand this. You're glad that the forces who actually were waging the fight in Syria lost. Mm-hmm. Because that's a very different thing than if you say, if you think that there's this idealized, romanticized notion of the Syrian revolution, which would have ushered in freedom and democracy and liberalism and you know this secular uh, heterogeneity. Yeah, with funding and, and weapons from cosmopolitanism. Saudi. With funding and weapons from Saudi Arabia and, and America. Yeah. Right. So it's one it's, yeah. it's one thing to say, "Damn it, I wish that force would have won in Syria," because I could get behind that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Who doesn't want a, a, a better country, a more liberal, enlightened form of democracy, right? Mm-hmm. Even if it's not a communist paradise, who wouldn't want that? Right. But the reality is that the forces that were involved in this conflict were not going to bring that about. In fact, they were going to bring about a fascistic uh, uh, hell. Saudi Arabia, they were going to bring right? about Saudi. No, they, and they did. In the areas they controlled, look at Raqqa. You think Raqqa, ISIS just came into Raqqa by themselves and it was just ISIS? No. Who controlled Raqqa? Before it became before ISIS took control of Raqqa, it was the FSA. ISIS took it from the FSA. After the FSA worked alongside ISIS. Same thing in Deir Azor with Al Qaeda. Like with, with working with the FSA, it was actually Al Qaeda that took Deir Azor. Although everybody calls it the FSA, and then that ended up you know ended up morphing into ISIS, or ISIS like took over from Al Qaeda. I mean, all of these groups like this. This was the reality for people on the ground. Like the sexual enslavement for Yazidis. In areas in these areas was reality for people on the ground, and if it wasn't ISIS, it was Al Qaeda. And like, I'm sorry, but maybe in areas that were really rural and really, really, really tribal and like really um, remote and already maybe had sort of like dress codes and certain local customs in place that like wouldn't change that much under Al Qaeda, because there are areas like that, especially the more rural you go. Um, those areas, it that those are the areas that were initially taken over because. For those people, it wasn't that big of a difference if, like, if, like, you know, sort of <laughs> yeah. this, like, right. this kind of group took over and instituted, like, gender-segregated schooling. You already had it. But for the people living in the bigger cities, for the people living in the bigger areas, this was completely unacceptable to them. And I'm glad that the fascists lost. Like, I can't – I'm sad that Syria has been destroyed in the process, that large swaths of Syria have been destroyed. It's never going to be the same again. I, that, that didn't have to happen. That said, they cannot all be blamed on the Syrian government because at the end of the day, whether they were a police state government or just even if they were an ordinary or even if they were a wonderful government, even if they were a wonderful, liberal, beautiful government that was very humane and didn't people didn't die in their prisons, even if that was the case for Syria, no government in their right mind is going to submit to the kinds of groups and death squads that the U.S. backed in Syria. No government. And they, I mean, a state is going to react to that and they're going to react violently. And I'm not excusing the Syrian government's heavy handed tactics at all, but I would love to know how, like, like what people think the U.S. might do if a part of the U.S. was taken (laughs) over by, um, by like, I mean, look what the U.S. did in Waco, Texas, for God's sakes. Those people didn't even pose a threat. Oh my God. You know, (laughs) look what the people, you know, like, look what the U.S. did to people like in the Black Panthers, like. For like putting, yeah. you know, for putting in like free school lunch programs. Imagine what they do to an actual group that tried to like use armaments to take over 
a whole like swath of New York City. Um, right, right, right. You know, and they're and leaving, like, leaving, you know, horror shows in their wake, you know, for the American media to, to seize on and, and justify all <laughs> kinds of, you know, think about the thirst for, for, think about the thirst for blood that the American liberal cosmopolitan culturally enlightened, you know, quote unquote, masses would have for the heads of these uh, leaders oh, yeah. if they started enslaving women. <laughs> In uh, rural parts of Wyoming. Oh my God. I mean, the the American public would would green light uh, chemical weapons and all of the, you know, like targeted nuclear strikes, you know, in parts of Wyoming just to stamp that out to save these people. Imagine the outrage. And so there's Americans now who go with these, these kinds of Americans constantly talk about how they would love to nuke Texas. And like, <laughs> right. like I mean, imagine that's, that's if like people talk. like, no, but they really do say that kind of shit. Like yeah, they do. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. They're like, or, or let them drown. Yeah. Right. Let them dr- drown in Hurricane Harvey. Right. Like, fuck them. Just because right? like, so, they're uneducated. So my point is, yeah. yeah, my point is like, what I want to say is like, yes, I, I think even still, and, and I, you know, maybe you can just say a quick spiel about this, but I know my audience is going to be pissed off of me if I don't bring this up. So I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I think we can even remain agnostic on the question of whether or not Assad used chemical weapons. I think we can just remain agnostic on that question because nothing that we are saying right now would change. Yeah, totally. Um, if it it, one way or the other, because because just like I said, if 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 radical like uh, fascistic hardcore religious fundamentalists took over parts of Wyoming and maybe like you know South maybe Bismarck South uh, Bismarck South Dakota. North Dakota, Jesus, I suck. I'm the so Dakota, sorry. The Dakotas, the, the Dakotas, uh, listeners, the Dakotas, and maybe anywhere we're encroaching on, on parts of like, well, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, Minnesota and taking over a couple major cities, you know, minor major cities. And they were enslaving women and they were, you know, instituting their harsh uh, Christian fundamentalist law and, and telling women that they can't go to school and drafting men into the army and you putting. Have to go like stay uh, in the putting, kitchen and like uh, walk barefoot and get putting pregnant. Jews in cages, like, putting Jews in cages yeah. <laughs> and other <laughs> minorities. Right. Yeah. As like I mean, the American public. Against the U.S. government. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, you'd see Ezra Klein and the woke neoliberal centrists clamoring for Donald Trump to use chemical weapons against these people just to save the innocent victims. You would see that. And so I'm not justifying the barbarism of the Assad regime, but I'm trying to contextualize and understand for people here in the United States what that would actually look like if this kind of barbarism came to your country. And people would be who were trashing Trump and saying, not my president, just several months before, would welcome Trump with open arms because you have to have a pragmatic orientation towards your own like livelihood, right? Yeah, um, I mean the same people who are able to understand like when they doing- make like the little people the same people who like will make the lesser evil argument uh between like a Trump and a Clinton can't see the lesser evil argument between like Assad and uh ISIS and that's shocking to me. Um I do want to say you reminded me of something funny that I want to like at least end on cuz I know we have to wrap up here, but um that there's this like Syrian guy that I met he in Beirut actually um he was like the assistant for my hairdresser and he uh he was like we were talking about Syria um and he was like he was basically saying fuck the U.S. um for bringing us ISIS I hope that ISIS takes over the U.S. (laughs) and I was like wow and he's like I hope they get a taste of their own medicine 
I hope, I really do. I hope ISIS takes over your government. And I was like, thanks. That's how Syrians feel about America. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Right. Like that's, yeah. and I, I, mean, I like but, can't blame him for saying that. And who would, right? Who would come to our rescue if, if the fascists, if like, forget ISIS. Let's talk about the Our real fascists. We have fascists. If, yeah, the neo-Nazis. If, if the neo-Nazis took up weapons and, you know, even more so than they are now, and they have a viable uh, uh, military uh, and even political in some respects, right? Like force. And they started taking over parts of the U.S. South and, and, and they were enslaving, uh, you know, black, black folks and minorities, ethnic minorities and religious minorities, all the rest of it. Who would save us? It would be the goddamn FBI. It would be yeah, the U.S. State. fucking marshals. It would be the state. It would, would be, be the state. state. And the, a mix the of militias. State, it, would know, like, it would be like, it would be like, it would be like black, like Crips and Bloods militias. It would. They'd have to. They'd have to. We yeah. like that's because the left. I mean, I love the left in their conversation about like, about like punching Nazis. Because I mean, if you look at the left, very few of them know how to punch. Um, so if like, I'm, I really mean that actually. I really do. Um, and like the Nazis in America have been hoarding weapons. So like, if they're ever, if they really ever did try to start a war, the people who would have to fight them would be like the whites who don't like them in their own neighborhoods. And then like a weird alliance with like, like Mexican and black, um, gangs. Seriously, certainly if Mexican American communities were being threatened with like put being put in cages and being wiped out, you'd see MS 13 yeah. going to war with these people, yeah. right? Like that's what happens when your back's against the wall. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not this, I am not waving that flag in the way that the liberal, the woke liberals do and saying like, God bless the FBI. They're the last <laughs> bastion of American freedom. You know, I'm not wiping a tear from my eyes. I say that <laughs> recite that bullshit, you know, but at the same time, like we like, you know, there's this, I really do think that this, this, I, this fascistic threat in America is so fucking overstated. And in large part, because, you know, like it or not, the U S government is the biggest, I'm going to say this, I'm going to get, oh God, Ronnie, I'm going to get so much shit for this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> the U.S. government is the most um, uh, capable and um, adamant anti-fascist force in the United States, domestically, domestically. Yeah, domestically. Now, don't get key, my words twisted yeah. here. Domestically, yeah. don't get it twisted. The U.S. government is doing horrible shit as we speak. They are plotting to destroy America and the lives of oppressed and exploited Americans domestically. And let's not even talk about what they're doing and they have done to the international community. I mean, my God. Mm -hmm. But that's just to say that, like it or not, the American government, even the Trump government, is at its heart anti they are they are a liberal cosmopolitan diversity loving uh woke because even in some respects in a neo, in a neoliberal centrist woke mm -hmm. way because that's the people who own the government are like it's like the corporate i mean like we have like corporate yeah. rule in Google. america and the people who own corporations live in fucking silicon valley and they like being gay wall street they, can. they like their gay friends like they, yeah. they, i mean yeah they like they're like black and Jewish and like maybe even sure. God forbid Muslim friends, sort of at least. Um, and even in many cases, they are black Jewish and Muslim, right? Exactly. The ruling class and, and so the, the because, CEOs because of, and the yeah. people in these boardrooms. And because of that, um, yeah. yeah, that's like, and I mean, I, I, I do agree with you in that sense, and I think that that people, um, 
But I can't seem to understand that in the Syrian context because the state is the one that's... And I mean, forget the ideology of the state for a second. The state, just by default, is the one most capable of fighting any sort of insurgency within its borders, period. Um, so that's how it's going to go down, is if there was a fascistic insurgency in the U.S., by default, the state and its forces, which is the most capable of fighting an insurgency, would be the ones to put it down. Um, but that's also, to, to, I mean, to be clear, that's also like would be used against like if there was a communist uprising in the U.S., yeah, um, sure. it would also be sure. used, you know, the state. But in this case, you know, I, I, I think it's an important um, it's, it's, it's an important point you're making. And I just uh, I think it's really funny when like clad leftists are like having arguments over whether punching Nazis is OK. And I'm just like, you guys don't know how to punch. Anyways. That's my, that's my main point here is you guys don't know how to punch. This is a stupid conversation that we're having. The takeaway is from Rania Kalik over there in uh, Beirut, folks. Uh, learn how to throw a punch. And moreover, stop yeah. making stupid arguments and pretending like you are the last uh, you know, uh, bastion, bastion against fascism. Against, yeah. while, while you applaud actually existing fascism yeah. in the Middle East. At least be consistent, right? let's, God damn it. Let's at least like, be consistent. It's like, if you wanna, it's like the yeah. anti-fascist forces <laughs> in the Middle East are like Hezbollah and are like Iranian-funded forces are basically like our anti-fascistic forces here because they're the most capable and effective fighting forces along with the states that still exist that America hasn't collapsed are the most capable of fighting the fascists that exist here. And boy, do we have fascists. Um, uh, but the, the point is, is like yeah, yeah, yeah. those same people will sit there like, like I'm sorry, Jacobin like has written articles just like denouncing Hezbollah and making these ridiculous points while they support the Syrian opposition, which is actually fascistic. Like, it's unbelievable. And so to me, those people, I'm like, you guys are going to fight the fascists in America? I know that you're much nicer to Jacobin than I am, but I'm the bad cop here. Right. But, well, Jacobin published them. Jacobin didn't write them, but, you're, but it's a fair point. Yeah. It's a fair point that you're making. Anyways, um, on that note, um, yeah, yeah, I, if yeah. there's anybody still like listening yeah. to two hours, you're amazing. We wow. should wrap it up. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to cut this down into two parts for sure, because I think we have, we started off with your Yazidi piece, and we finished now with a really good uh, encapsul- encapsulization. Sure, why not? <laughs> I like your words. I can't. My, my <laughs> words are kind of. I'm running out of words. I can't. I, I, I forgot how to word. We've been doing your this encapsulization so so is so much. totally acceptable. Except what did you sure. say? Except. Or something, anyways. Acceptable? Acceptable. I don't know. I liked it. So, Rania Kalik, the wordsmith that you are, uh, thanks so much for hanging in there with me. This was a long interview, but it was really great and it was fantastic talking to you as always. Thanks for joining us on the uh, Dead Pundit Society. Thank you so much for having me on. It was great chatting. And thanks to your listeners for listening. And that's our show, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to part two of my interview with Rania Kalik. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot. Uh, There's a lot of food for thought there. Agree or disagree, it should certainly press you to think harder about the U.S. role in the Middle East, as well as the role of some of our allies, the Saudis and uh, others. So, yeah, there it is. Next week, actually this week, because this is part two, technically, and I am releasing this early in the week. Later this week, you're going to get an episode with Michael Brooks of The Michael Brooks Show. He is also on Majority FM with Sam Cedar. The man's got a million impressions. He's funny, but he's also smart as hell. He and I uh, have recently discovered one another 
We have a similar political project. I did his show last week. Some of you might have heard that. And uh, I'm really down with his uh, you know, desire to, to craft a new left agenda. It echoes the kind of things that you see and hear here on the uh, Dead Pundit Society. So look forward to that episode with Michael Brooks later this week. He's a funny guy, insightful guy. And unlike me, the man is a professional. <laughs> He's really good at what he does, and so uh, I'm happy to have him on the show so that we can all learn from him. After that, I'm going to do a couple other episodes that are kind of up in the mix, but I've got a five-part series lined up right now for this fall. Fall is officially here. Summer is behind us, so just like all the kiddos and uh, the university students of the world, we're going to go back to school here on the Dead Pundit Society. We're going to go all the way back to school. I've got at least a five-part series. We're going to start with an episode on state theory with my man, Raphael Kachaturian. Uh, All of the people, actually, that I'm going to be featuring on this five-part series are young scholars, young up-and-comers, right? We've had a lot of really seasoned veterans on the Dead Pundit Society so far, and we're going to have many more to come. But this series is going to focus on the young socialist thinkers, uh, the younger generation, my generation. Uh, So Raphael is going to kick that off. He is a recently minted PhD uh, from Indiana University, and uh, he did his dissertation on neo-Marxian state theory. So you won't find a better guy to be able to talk about the relevance of state theory in politics today. Following that, I'm going to do a couple of episodes on the New Deal through to the Great Society featuring... Michael McCarthy is a guy that I've talked about on the show a couple times. Another young junior scholar, uh, up-and-coming guy. Uh, He's written a great book called Dismantling Solidarity that I have referenced on the show a few times. So we're going to talk to him about the birth and the life and the death of the New Deal and into the 1950s and 60s, the uh, unraveling uh, of the Great Society Project and so on. Following that, I'm going to do a couple of episodes on the relationship between the left and the Democratic Party, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the role of the corporations and the state in the 1960s, and then we're going to wrap it all up with an episode on the third way, and uh, if I can line up the stars correctly, we're going to do another episode on black politics and, uh, and uh, the labor so get excited for all this stuff coming up. We're taking you all back to school. There's a little preview of what's to come. Enjoy the rest of your week. I've got Michael Brooks lined up in a few days. So not much longer to wait. Until then, Dead Pundit, out. Oh, this new crazy mother...